Hey, this is your host Keith in post-production, and I wanted to pop this in before I play this episode. This is supposed to be last week's episode. You even had the right show notes and show title. I just pinned the wrong file to it. So with that said, here's the right file, and if you want to read the correct show notes, uh, I moved those to the last week's episode. So you'll uh, read all about the, uh, the request episode we played last week, but here is the real episode uh, that was intended for last week, but it is now, well, this week. So, here we go. And sorry about the mix-up. Quest for Truth, presented by Protectorate Productions and HPN, Heltsley Podcast Network. Now located at life-truth.com. And now, here is your host, Keith Heltzley. Hey everybody, this is your host Keith. It's time for another episode of Quests for Truth. This won't be a very long one. Uh, what I thought I would do is, uh, being the Baptist that I am, Baptists are not known for knowing a lot about church history. And, uh, and digging through a... Uh, a library of uh, books I've come across, uh, you know, from the Reformed slant of things, I suppose you might say, largely some of them are not. Uh, this is a book about church history. It was written about 100 years ago. I'll talk more about that as I uh, get started with the main topic. Uh, and it might even be in public domain. I don't even know if it's really in print anymore. It could be. I don't know. Uh, like I said, I, I got it as part of a collection. So what you're going to hear is me re- not reading through, but reviewing um, this first section in this first uh, chapter, in this first part of the book, <laughs> because uh, it, it's all mostly new to me. There's some historical things that I knew about just from studying the Bible and reading commentaries and whatnot. Uh, but with, in this particular uh uh, episode uh, is just examining some of the governmental climate during the time of the birth of Christ. Uh, some other re- religious, and by religious I mean you know not not what we know from the Bible aspects. Uh, some of the mystic religions, some of the other uh, religions, uh, and then wrapping up with. Uh, on some society things, uh, the norms and life that would have existed at the time. And wrapping up with a part that uh, ended up being very confusing for me. <laughs> it's about Greek philosophers. Some of it I kind of knew a little bit because some of it we still have echoes of those early uh, Greek schools of thought that still are out there today. I mean, they show up in various forms of atheism and relativism and and other uh, things like that, secular humanism and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's what to kind of preface this and kind of frame uh, what this episode is about and why I chose it. And honestly, I might even return to it at least a couple more times because coming up, uh, at the same time as this, you know, predating the time of Christ, uh, it start, we start to look at some of the Jewish uh, culture and where uh, Jewish life stood. 
And finally, we get into uh, Christ, his apostles, and Paul. And it moves from there, uh, this first part uh, of this particular book that I'm referencing and uh, referring to uh, is in eight parts. It's, uh, so it's a fairly hefty uh, work, but it's all new to me. Uh, and so you can, I guess, discover it as I do, or discover me discovering it, however you want to put it. Anyway, let's take a real quick break, and we'll listen to uh, some words from the good folks there at ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. There's so many new podcasters there, I can't even <laughs> begin to imagine or remember uh, who they all are, but a few of them will sound like the voices you're about to hear right now. What does it really mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Confusion or faulty beliefs on this point will result in nothing more than pain and relational carnage. Christians must submit their understanding of love to God's revealed word. Love is not a feeling. Love is not tolerance or acceptance or ambivalence. Love is not merely romance. Love is a universe-altering choice to want and work toward God's best interest for the people in our lives, whether they want it or not, because that's how God loves us. The one true God of the universe has existed since eternity past in ultimate perfection. He spoke the cosmos into existence for his soul, honor, and glory. He moved heaven and earth to redeem mankind, even though we have nothing to offer him. And he's given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word. He deserves our worship. He deserves our adoration. He deserves our praise. I'm your host, A.M. Brewster, and this is the Celebration of God. If you want to know God better, celebrate Him more, and help the ones you love to do the same, subscribe to this podcast and visit celebrationofgod.com to learn more about this dynamic discipleship resource. And remember, the Celebration of God is a listener-supported ministry. Can you answer the following questions for your children or for the person to whom you are witnessing? Number one, is the New Testament reliable? Two, can you explain the Trinity to me? Three, how is Jesus both God and man? And a slew of other questions you will be able to answer if you get Andrew Rappaport's new book, What Do We Believe? It will help you a ton. Get your copy at whatdowebelievebook.com, whatdowebelievebook.com. Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. And a Christian, you know, Christians above all, be faithful leave the results to God, and trust in the hope we have in Christ. Until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program, serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device, or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section. Main topic. 
I can find. And what I want to do is look at some church history. And I found this book. Let me give credit where credit's due. The book is called A History of the Christian Church. And there's in eight parts. The first part is from the beginnings to the Gnostic crisis. Chapter one starts out with a history of the Christian church. Uh, it's by Williston Walker, Richard Norris, David W. Watts, Robert Hamby. Uh, copyright 1918, uh, also 1959, 70, and 85, Charles Scribner. And it was renewed in 1946. Uh, now, Unless it was renewed since 1946, that means it's in public domain, because I think everything that's 50 years old in print uh, rolls over into public domain unless somebody renewed it. <laughs> and I don't know about this book. It could be public domain. Uh, very old. Uh, printed originally 100 years ago. Uh, but, hey, the church history is new to me, so it's all going to be new to me. Uh, I'm sure if they found updates or there's new things or archaeological things or anthropological things, uh, all this could be updated. But it, let me just walk through uh, this first chapter. There's 11 chapters in this first part that finally does end up in like the second century A.D. But I just want to look today uh, at uh, this first chapter. And it is um, the general situation here at the time of Christ. Uh, and so it's going to be talking about a lot of uh, uh, the culture of the day, religion of the day. We're not going to talk a lot about scriptural uh, content today. But this will be interesting. At least it was interesting to me. Uh, at the birth of Christ, the land of the Mediterranean Sea was under the control of Rome, of course, which was an empire that went from the coastal territories, the interior, uh, from the ocean to the Dandy rivers, rivers up in Germany, to Northern Africa, uh, to Armenia and Persian Empire. Quite a big plot of land there. Um but in the century and a half before Christ, uh, the people of Rome included all of this area. Uh, now, at the, when Julius Caesar was assassinated, it uh, was followed by civil wars that affected all parts of the territories. Um, and it was... <laughs> Uh, with the overthrow of uh, or upsetting of Rome, the people began to, I think, really pray for a Messiah in the Middle East there. Um, but we're not going to be there quite yet. Um, but um, there was a certain form of Republican institutions to make note of, uh, which is what Rome kind of was at that time, hmm. a Republican institution. Our nation is also a Republican institution. And one thing notable with that is that uh, the city uh, was, or the polis, I think is the 
how you want to pronounce the word in, in uh, Greek or Latin, uh, is the city. It's where the focal point of where uh, all the person's lives and culture and infrastructure came from. But then you had all these scattered uh, cities and communities, uh, incorporated places. Uh, some were urban centers, some were smaller in size. But they were under Roman control. Rome would supply infrastructure, but the cities uh, were responsible for their own affairs while they paid taxes to the larger government. And honestly, it should be pretty much how we do our republic today. We live in a town, and we have you know streets and city uh, schools and uh, various. You know, stores and things like that. Uh, and of course, we have the larger infrastructure of the state and the government we pay tax to. We, those taxes keep us safe from uh, foreign invasion, except for our southern border right now is not very <laughs> safe, uh, very, very porous. Uh, but the cities also provided the worship for its people. Uh, so, you know, your religion was very localized. If you you could go from city to city and you may have different gods throughout the countryside. You know, that's kind of what the saying when in Rome do is the Romans because you're in a new town and you might as well follow their gods. Um, but let's talk about Rome a little bit. It was, uh, of course, a very diverse cultural groups of people. It was very uh, interdependent for its economics. You know, one uh, thing depended on Rome uh, and its armies uh, for its order and protection, uh, for all the larger territory, and for even stability. Um, now, within the empire, uh, you had wealth coming from agriculture. Uh, that was a chief industry. If you were in the city, you might have a livelihood of you know, merchants. People would bring agricultural products there, and you would trade with other uh, city folks. You'd have uh, grain and wine and olives and grapes and that kind of thing being traded. And if you think about, um, remember back your your school days, it would tell you that you know, anthropology went from hunter-gatherers, and you... Uh, people worked smarter and not harder and began to grow crops. And this is where uh, we are in history at this point is we have the agricultural people growing the crops and the grains and bringing it to cities to be marketed and you know, raw materials processed and so forth. Uh, there was unity and culture uh, and it all depended on a higher culture. This attributes it to Hellenistic culture that uh, grew up through the you know, Greek education of philosophers uh, through the previous couple of centuries. Uh, I know around 300 BC is when Alexander the Great conquered the world as it was from Persia. Uh, so there's a lot of Greek influence 
built into this, which led to stability. And this, this is their thing is so, you know, the, the elite upper class gives the unity and the stability. Because with all this diversity, you have to have something to unify behind. Um, but um, Greek was definitely an everyday uh, language of people in the East, meaning the Middle East here, but it was becoming the educated language of people in Rome. If you went to schools in Rome, you learned Greek. It's like today, we might learn the other dead languages like Latin and, and Greek as well. Um, but they did have other languages, Aramaic and Coptic. They didn't go away. They were just the localized, rural, uneducated uh, language. Uh, but it was uh, the Greek sciences and philosophies that both enriched uh, the smaller town and were enriched by those smaller communities as well. Um, now, let's talk about the religion that r ruled uh, at that time. Uh, and of course, again, a very diverse, uh, sophisticated world. Uh, there was re religious beliefs and concerns uh, at the individual community level. But um, in general terms, there's uh, three broad categories of religious belief. Uh, first of all, there was a traditional religion of family, community, gods, civic religion of Roman, uh, political uh, government, the traditional gods. People had the multiple gods back then. Uh, second, there was the mystery culture, mystic, uh, and these came largely from the East, which would mean actually around Persia, Iran, Iraq, and who knows where points East. Uh, uh, and... Um, they had the roots of fertility rights, um, that kind of thing. Uh, finally, there was the way of life that saw human fulfillment and pursuit of uh, philosophical <laughs> sciences. Uh, but, uh, but in practice, these different styles, they peacefully coexisted for the most part. Uh, to some degree, uh, people were involved in all three uh, of these types of religions, and uh, they were just the, the way people worshipped, I guess, at that time. Uh, they had a belief about the cosmos. Uh, the cosmos it means universe, but it can mean, I think I've talked about it before in a podcast, it can mean various things from the big, wide universe out there to uh, the universe of uh, communities and cultural uh, things, even down to the individual. Um, but this, uh, the, uh, the requiring more knowledge a new picture of the cosmos that says God was the flat earth, an overarching heaven of ancient myth. Educated and half-educated persons now saw the earth as a sphere, motionless at the center of things. Now, honestly, I don't know if that's what the, they really believed in uh, ancient Middle East. 
Uh, I'm not sure where flat earth belief came from. Certainly in the European uh, Middle Ages, the, the belief was then, uh, and this certainly would have been oh, a good 1,500 years before that, or close to it, 1,400 years before that. So if they believed in a, a, a earth-centric, spherical earth at that point, it must have devolved either that or it hadn't reached Europe <laughs> quite yet. Uh, but they were uh, beginning to understand, you know, the planets and the, they believe the stars were fixed in the skies. Uh, but to them, it was not a mere machine. They uh, perceived the cosmos as a living, orderly thing uh, ruled by a divine mind. They felt that the cosmos was its own living body. Uh, the world was full of life, and they felt that it was the gods uh, who lived in uh, the larger cosmos universe out there. Interesting. Let's look at some other beliefs of the gods. Uh, traditional religion uh, at that time had public and social affairs, community affairs, family affairs. And honestly, you know, that's what religion often today is. It, it helps people to come together uh, and unify around something and community or uh, so forth. Um, but uh, human well-being, they understood, depended on the gods at all the time. And growing our crops, conducting business, difficult uh, problems of war and peace and diplomacy. And so they tried to make sense uh, out of the cosmos by you know, referring to gods. Uh, they used divinations, dreams, oracles to understand these powers. They tried to use uh, you know, prayer primarily to you know, gain the, the alliance of the gods. Um, but this is the traditional religion, um, and they also had was, you know, emperor worship, and oddly enough, I was surprised a little bit. It says that that uh, Rome really didn't start that, that emperor worship was one of those things that came out of those mystery cults of the East. It was their customs where they worshipped the emperor as a god. And they believe it maybe evolves something out of Egypt, which the the Pharaoh kind of considered himself a god. But the Romans kind of rejected that. But, hey, they felt like if it helps people stay in line, then sure, we're gods. But they didn't really believe it, except for maybe if you were insane, like Caligula. <laughs> then maybe you did. But they, they, they knew about it. They didn't invent it, but they played it according to this history here. Hey, if you want to challenge me, I'm, I'm fine with that, because this is all new to me. I'm learning as I'm reading this. <laughs> my thoughts may change. My statements may change. In fact, they probably will. Um, but um, the Roman sensibility is just, uh, they just, it was just not done, I guess you might say. It, was, it didn't fit their sensibilities. Um, but um, it was really kind of irrelevant to your you know, personal needs. Uh, 
because worshiping an emperor is kind of impersonal, and you know, religion needs to be about a person, uh, an individual. So the ordinary people turn to other religious cults for this prosperity in the sense of having a place and destiny and stuff like that. Uh, but the cosmos was they knew was not a perfectly uh, organized uh, body. Uh, they felt that you know there was demonic powers um, and there was a lot of unpredictability and um, a lot of popular, popular religions were more concerned with appeasing these uh, capricious gods with you know charms, spells, amulets, and uh, using those kind of things. A lot of superstitious uh, things. A lot of astrology imported from you know Babylonia um, to consult the stars was to gain insight into your destiny. And we talked about this before when we talked about spiritual warfare and uh, not consulting sorcery and witchcraft. And uh, astrology is part of that. You're seeking information from the stars to combat these capricious uh, demons. <laughs> uh, but uh, let's move on. Let's look at a little bit about these mystic um, things, uh, religions. Uh, again, they're oriental in nature at this time. Uh, they had kind of disseminated through salvation religions. The Great Mother, which originated in Asia Minor, Isis, Seraphis, which came from Egypt, Mithras, which came from Persia. Uh, and originally, Romans were suspicious about these uh enthusiastic, orgiastic rites. It just felt it was counterproductive uh, to uh, normal human society. Uh, and one thing I'll say about that, and maybe you'll come full circle on it, is some people will point to these, you know, air quotes, salvation, mystical uh, cults and say, oh, look, Christianity is based on that. But here's a huge difference, uh, even though Christianity may have come a little bit later than some of these. Each one of those cultic religions, the, the goddess has to die every winter, and they come back in the spring, and they have to do this. They have to be saved and resurrect every year. Otherwise, you're not going to have a good crop. But with Jesus, he died once. He resurrected, and he's still resurrected. He didn't have to. He doesn't have to come back and die every year. He died once for all, and that's all there is to it. Uh, so it's not the same. It's it's the whole orders of magnitudes above that. But but these types of uh, salvation cults, um, they. Evoked uh, deep emotions of uh, wonder and gratitude. This, uh, these people who worshipped them uh, felt that they could commune with a divine being who reached out to care for them. They offered the gift of immortality, fellowship with the gods. Um, the, it was all about an experience, an experience 
of new life. Now, sometimes in the Christian world, we get caught up in that. We, it's all about the experience. If your religion in Christ, it's all about experience. You need to step back and restudy that. Uh, certainly, we experience things because we are humans. We live in a world of time and space. We experience things. But that shouldn't be the the pinnacle of what you worship is the experience. Um, but the uh, person in these cults um, would be uh, liberated uh, to partake with the divine. And it was all about being transcendent. Uh, let's just leave that, leave it there. There was religions of philosophy. And when we talk about philosophy, and this is the third way, uh, we're not talking about, you know, some academic wisdom. We're talking about these people use uh, philosophy to make sense of the world around them. It was a quest for understanding of the cosmos, an understanding which could only uh, be done by participating uh, in life, seeking after happiness. Uh, philosophers was all, this wasn't for everybody. It did require a lot of intellectual and moral discipline, which only few could pursue. Because, hey, if you're busy with your farm, you don't have time to sit around with your nose in books and, you know, ponder at the sky what's happening to me. But philosophy did provide framework that made sense of all these mythical cults and religion. Um, now, let's see. It gives some information about some how these various Greek schools of thought came to be with Socrates, uh, Plato, and others reach back to the 300s uh, BC. Uh, they established schools, uh, they established academies, uh, but in fact, the Plato school lasted until. Um, A.D. 500, somewhere, whenever one of the emperors shut him down. So it was a very popular uh, school of thought. Um, but um, Aristotle also had some influential teaching during the Christian era. Um, and Epicurus was another a popular philosopher, the Stoics. Uh, I think both of those were uh, in the 300s. Uh, Zeno in the 200s BC. Um, but each of the schools became a brotherhood that uh, developed its founders' teachings. Uh, let's look at the various trains of thought, Epicurus, the good life. Epicurus thought that pleasure, uh, in the negative sense, was ha highest human good. Uh, the good life is that that maximizes pleasure but minimizes pain. Um, so the greatest pleasure is obtained by a life of quiet retirement and restraint. They're characterized by self-control. So through self-control, uh, you can maximize your happiness. 
that was your thought. Uh, Epicurus taught, or I read that part. Uh, but they regarded that fear of the gods and afterlife life was the main disturbance, and they felt that it was baseless. <laughs> they felt that if you believe in God, it, it contributes to your pain. So therefore, don't believe in God. That's what they would teach. Uh, it, death uh, just marks the end of existence. It's not evil. Uh, pleasure and pain disappear. Um, so these are some things that Epicurean people believed. Um, and it was um, around in upper class circles of Rome uh, during the, the first century, the time of Christ there. Um, and they weren't really widespread uh, uh, during the Christian era, uh, the Stoics is the, all about the life of nature, the natural life. Um, and this would, be, would have been more influential, especially in the uh, the West, as it were. Um, but it was to expand, developed by various philosophers through the second century BC. So again, we're talking about the you know, 150 or so years before Christ. Um, but um, the Stoics were materialists, just like the Epicureans. They thought the cosmos was two kinds of stuff, a passive and active matter. Active would be the fiery spirit, the pneuma, uh, the, the pneuma, that fiery spirit of the cosmos would equate much like a soul does in the human body. It's the source of life, of harmony, God, fate, reason, lagos, the force. May the force be with you. That's <laughs> it, 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 pretty much it. It was an impassionate uh, force, uh, a life force of the cosmos. Uh, the human soul uh, is con was considered to be a, a part of that spark, your divine reason, your thought process is part of that active stuff. Um, so the good for people is be all you can be. Live according to your internal nature. If it feels good, do it, <laughs> right? Uh, to be... Um, yeah, this you know, be true to yourself would be their philosophy. Um, so, uh, but the verse, this virtuous life was both free and within your power to achieve, and it, it lets you, you truly be you, be your true self. You would be a stoic, uh, sensual pleasures and stuff like that. Uh, in fact, if you depend on external circumstance, it alienates yourself from being the best you can be. So don't let others rain on your parade. Uh, if you rely on outside sources for oh, good health or for uh, outside sources, it blocks you from uh, being your best you. Uh, and they believe that uh, rank 
in society was unnecessary. All people were essentially equal. Um, Plato uh, had a, this is really bizarre to me, what is and what will be, or what is being and what will be becoming. It's because his philosophy was a little more, I don't know, Brainiac, if you ask me, because he, he understood that time was always changing. And with time is always changing, you can't really know anything. You, you can only react in the moment and maybe anticipate what might come, but you could never really, you know, like, like a river, it's never the same river. You stand there for a minute and all the water rushes by. It may look like the same river on the surface, but all the water has changed. <laughs> Maybe that would be a good analogy uh, to describe all this complicated system ideas that Plato believed that you know things are always uh, in flux. You might say always changing, um, but he he focused on what is in the moment. What what is is being, and he focused on what is in the future. Um, so his Plato's ideas are just from this book are a little bit difficult for me to, to grasp. But you definitely have to be a, a high thinker uh, to grasp, uh, uh, you know, time slipping through your fingers and stuff. Um, but he, he saw them not as being separate things, but they played into each other, which is, well, I could get that. But um, let's see, where else are we going here? One thing Plato apparently was good at is launching critical attacks on other people's ideas. Uh, he could find problems with uh, the Stoics and find problems with the Epicureans never offered any solutions, but he was good at being skeptical. <laughs> anyway, in the end, the skepticism did not reign, fortunately. People were skeptical enough to get jaded, I guess. Uh, let's move on. There's order of the cosmos. Well, let's look at what people believed about that. Um, Let's see. They believed in a transcendent God, uh, and this God uh, was identified with Plato's realm of being, I guess because he's such a high thinker. I don't know. Um, you had to be very contemplative to understand God in, in the formless matter, where you would find God, I guess, in their understanding. Um, but the philosophers who uh, they, they, I guess they understood they, you had to start with the cosmos if you're going to seek truth uh, and seek uh, you know your reality of how you understand things. It has to start with the cosmos. So you have to, I guess, see where you plug into the the greater uh, uh, the greater beast there. The whole time and space world 
is harmonized in unity. The rational soul uh, is found in its love. Wow, that's weird. Rational soul finds its proper companion in the fully weighty object of his love. Is a quote there. Um, so the universe, the cosmos loves you. Oh, that's bizarre. But hey, don't we people think that today? I wouldn't say the, the universe don't love you. The universe don't care about you. But some people do believe that even now. Uh, they did believe the soul is eternal. Um, and your soul is not for this time and space world we live in. Uh, and it's a way of sharing with the divine being or, or God. Uh, so this philosophical quest is not for everybody. Uh, I get that. They have a lot of uh, high thought there. Um, they felt they'd cleanse their soul and you can become your true self uh, by these uh, Greek philosophers. Um, but let's see. Um, but of course the whole thing was to uh, have salvation and liberation from passions which bind people to the space-time world or from indifferent cosmic powers um, they saw the human person as having a transcendent destiny uh, in the divine um, so you know they're kind of on the right track but they're seeking uh, eternal answers in a finite cosmos, a finite material situation. Um, and so this is the, the culture, the, the society that Jesus was being born into, all these uh, Greek uh, philosophies, various religions. But, you know, it... it with all this high thinking, it, it kind of puts everybody ripe uh, for this new thing, this new uh, mystical event to happen uh, when Jesus uh, comes to be the Savior uh, of those who believe in him. And that's where I want to stop with that. Uh, that uh, was definitely interesting. You know, I never really studied uh, church history. And I've known, I know a little bit about some of the the culture of the time, but this book definitely laid it out there. And like I said, it is a well, hundred year old book. Uh, don't know if it's available out there. I managed to acquire it with a a library collection some time ago. And um, if you're interested in it, let me know. Uh, there are um, 10 more chapters <laughs> in this first part, and there's a total of eight parts to the book. So we'll probably take some time to get through it. But I think this the upcoming uh, portions in this book will be quite interesting, especially the next uh, oh, handful of chapters. So if nothing else, I'll go through this first part in the book. We'll have to see after that. They, that's all I got. I've been the Yammer for too long, being amazed and confused by uh, what I'm learning here, and I thought I would share. So here we go. 
Hello everyone, Daniel Minnick here. I host a podcast called Truth Espresso, and I am inviting you to join in. So what can you expect at Truth Espresso? Well, at Truth Espresso, we wake up our minds every Monday with a robust shot of truth. Let's dig deep in the Word of God as we get to know our God better together. Let's challenge our view of the world as we take apart conventional politics with a fine-toothed comb. See all that Truth Espresso has to offer by going to www.truthespresso.com. And by the way, Truth Espresso is now a member podcast of the growing family of the Christian podcast community. Check out other faith-building shows at christianpodcastcommunity.org, hosted by Striving for Eternity Ministries. Castle Rock Women's Health is a pro-women and pro-life clinic and ministry serving women of all ages and backgrounds in the community of Castle Rock, Colorado and the surrounding areas. Castle Rock Women's Health offers well-women care, prenatal care, extended postpartum care, licensed clinical Christian counseling, fertility awareness, hormone therapy, childbirth classes, STI testing and treatment, ultrasounds, and even the abortion pill reversal. Castle Rock Women's Health uses your generosity to offer services at little to no cost for many women in situations where insurance is not available. But Castle Rock Women's Health needs your help. To serve women better in the community, Castle Rock Women's Health is looking to move into a new office. Please consider a charitable donation to help Castle Rock Women's Health offer life-affirming care and reach more women with the love of Jesus Christ by going to givesendgo.com forward slash CRWH. That's givesendgo.com forward slash CRWH and be a blessing to women in need. For more information about Castle Rock Women's Health, please visit our website at crwomenshealth.com. Thank you so much. Did you know that Striving for Eternity provides speakers and seminars that we would come to your church and disciple your people? We have seminars on the Bible interpretation made easy, creation science, evangelism, presuppositional apologetics, even on sexual abuse. These are just some of the many things that we could provide for your church. Consider inviting one of our speakers to your church. You can contact us at speaker at strivingforeternity.org. All right. Yeah, well, um, great philosopher tuning. Uh, I kind of could track with some of that other than I think Plato is a little bit insane. I had a trouble tracking with what all his uh, deal is about. Uh, very confusing. Uh, maybe uh, it'll make more sense at some point later. Uh, but there's just a little taste of uh, me discovering a bit of uh, church history and like I said more to come uh, we'll have more topics to talk about so stay tuned if you have a, an idea you want me to dive into and investigate let me know I'll be happy to do that so uh, with that I don't really have an awful lot more so I'll just say thanks for listening this is your host Keith signing off and stay tuned for next week visit life-truth.com 
where you can find all our shows. Leave a message or call our voicemail number at 401-753-4844. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash life truth page. Follow us on Twitter at HPNCast, capital H, capital P, capital N, capital C, A-S-T. Everything Nathan Caldwell does can be found at facebook.com forward slash protectors of the book. Music in the show is used by permission of Kevin Zerby at zerbinator.wordpress.com. May God richly bless you. May you find everything you need. And if you don't know Jesus, your greatest need is a Savior. Thanks for listening.